You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season nine, episode 14. In this episode, I'm going to pass the mic over to my friend Luke Humbrick, who will conduct today's interview with author Pete Scazzaro. You've heard Luke on previous Makers and Mystics episodes before, including our conversation with Barna Group founder David Kinneman on Walking Through Digital Babylon, and our season four finale on the missing connection between art and faith. Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, has had a tremendous influence on our modern understanding of how emotional health intersects with contemplative spirituality. In this episode, we asked Luke to talk with Pete about how the artist can live a more healthy emotional and spiritual life. Yeah, so Pete, welcome to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Uh, this podcast, is, as you know, it's, it's about the intersection of art and faith. And the majority of the listeners are artists and creatives. As you know, there's a caricature that artists live with a measure of what you could call emotional volatility. And when you add to this a pandemic and political tensions and some economic turmoil, a couple Supreme Court decisions even, it can be completely overwhelming, especially to those who feel deeply. So really, the first question I'd love to ask is, in this kind of world that we're living in, um, how, do, how do we live in such a way that the weight of our emotions doesn't just cripple us? Oh, boy. Well, I think, you know, artists, and I would consider my myself, you know, it's a, I'm a four in the Enneagram, you know, high feeler, more definitely on the artistic bent. And so, uh, and it's interesting because, uh, you know, living in New York City all these decades and our church always had a lot of artists in it. And, and of course, dealing with worship teams and artistic folks doing creative stuff in our church. Uh, it used to be that it was an excuse to be, you know, to, to, to uh, kind of spill over our pathology into everybody because we're artistic. And, right. And uh, so we realized and recognized that artists as well just like everybody else needed to be discipled mentored resourced in the whole area of emotional health and spiritual maturity that that was a very critical area because uh it was so easy to justify being eccentric is one thing being unhealthy relationally or unhelpful relationally in community is not so anyway and we, were, we and we really had great i think it was a great great integration uh just on a over the years for us um and uh, so i love working with artists and and uh so i think yes yeah, great pressure on everybody anybody who's an artist or a leader in any sphere uh in these days and i don't think it's gonna diminish in the months and years to come so it is very critical that we're doing really good self-care uh because uh, the nature of art is you end up running with great intensity for a a season and then it ends and so there's more of a dramatic ups and downs in terms of even your schedule because of the artistic flow so again how important it is to know who you are how god's made you what you need um uh, developing good rhythms uh within the your own cycle of producing art like i'm about to go into writing a, a major book and so i'm i'm like pre the preparation is like half the work you know and and uh 
but modulating that or or containing it within some boundaries because of my other commitments and relationships uh and so uh it's just it takes a great deal of self-awareness to walk through this and consistent mo- monitoring because I've gone off the deep end, you know, and hurt people in the process, getting lost in things. <laughs> uh, writing, you get lost in writing in my case, and can just ignore the whole world, uh, which, again, in my context, and married and children and grandchildren, and, you know, I lead an organization. It's just not, it, it's, it hurts people. Uh, and so I've got to be aware of that yeah. and modulate that. Yeah, that's great. One of the early editions of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, the book, which was kind of your flagship book, there is a chapter called uh, The Radical Antidote, Emotional Health and Contemplative Spirituality. And there was even a section where you talked about the gift of breaking free from illusions. And I'm just wondering, can you explain what is contemplative spirituality and how does it help us break free from illusions? Yeah, well... Maybe can I start with talking about the place of the contemplative in art, uh, and then maybe we can move. If I don't get around to illusions, just bring me back uh, to it. I because I, I when I we when I think about art, I mean art is a contemplative act because something is passing through you to the world that's comes from out of this world. It really comes from God, and you're a. a conduit, you know, through whom he is flowing in whatever your particular art field may be. And that's why I think developing a strong contemplative life and, and, you know, I draw from the monastics uh, through the 2000 years of church history and has really been significant for my art. And I, you know, as I've read and I, I try to read on art, people who I always, I wish I had to read a, a book or two uh, before I start any major project uh, from artists about their process. And, um, you know, everyone agrees, or it seems like almost, almost everyone agrees. It's, it's a lot. It's just hard. It's a labor. You're birthing something. But at the same time, there's a, there's a common thread that, and I've experienced it, the pain of birthing, uh, there's no easy art, but at the same time, there's this, these, these moments. And especially at the end, you're like, how did this, I didn't do this. This came from another place. And that's the God factor. And so uh, I am very engaged in a lot of silence and prayer and waiting and stillness in my writing process. Uh, You know, I, I, in a sense, if if you're a good, if you're a good, let's say storyteller, you can put together a novel because you know all the pieces and you can, you can just stay at it and, and get it done, get that story done. But then there's the writing of that, or, or sculpting, or painting, or m- creating music, that it's just, it's creative, and it says it comes from the creator, it's just, it's passing through you, and you almost like, it's not yours, you're uh, borrowing it, you know, and you're, you gotta, you know, as you know, inspiration comes in the most odd moments sometimes, and uh, you have to write it on a piece of paper, you know, or, or write it on, on a, on a uh, book of matches or something, and throw it in your pocket, because you're like, I can't lose this thought, and that's the great, those are the great moments. And when you're in a project, um, and if you're in that contemplative mode, they're just God happenings. And uh, that's the most exciting thing. So I never know what's going to happen. I may prepare and write an outline and a basic outline, writing all my thoughts over a, a few month period. And 
you know, so I've got kind of a general outline, but things just happen once the process starts and I go down roads I didn't expect to go or, or get stuck somewhere. And I, I could be stuck from my case on a, on a paragraph for a week or a thought for a month. Uh, and I've written anything because I'm just pondering and kind of waiting for integration. So, yeah, I mean, I, I want to, I would strongly urge anybody who's an aspiring artist or you're a emerging artist, um, to really develop a contemplative life uh, and draw from some of the riches of monasticism in particular, and because they really, they, they've been the ones in 2000 years that have really pioneered silence and stillness. It's outside of the, you know, evangelical American tradition for sure. It's coming more out of, you know, desert fathers and mothers and uh, different monastic movements outside of, you know, most of our churches. Yeah. How, how would you say that dovetails with the idea of breaking from the illusions? Well, the illusions are, you know, you, you can write for the market. You can write for, to get a good review or to make money or uh, I'm not against making money or getting a good review, of course, but I don't see art as that. I, I don't, if you want to go make money, go be a bond trader, or go in the stocks or something. I mean, lots of ways to make money in the world, but I think art is a gift you offer the world, and I, I, I struggle with that personally. I, I think you can write in light of the market to a certain extent, but it's it's not you're not or or create. You understand there's a market out there, but you can't. It cannot. That that's an that's an idolatry. I mean, you can. That's I mean, It's like art is just art, and whether it is sold or not, whether it's a bestseller or not a bestseller, whether it's a song that sells a million copies or not, I there's just something about you're offering a gift given to you through you to the world and you feel you've succeeded by producing it. Like to me, my success is when it's done and I feel like it's really done. I, I haven't birthed it too quickly. Uh, I've let it gestate and have all the time that it needs. So I, I don't do well on deadlines. Um, and I, in terms of, I don't, uh, I have a general deadline, but I just let a publisher know in my case, I, you're going to get it when you get it. And I can't make it happen faster than it's going to happen. Right. So I'm into, yeah. I'm into the gestation process. Um, I know many people that write books like on really quickly and an hour a night and they get it done in six months or a year. And I'm like, really? Um, but that's just not, there's a million of those artistic works out there. To me, the great ones yeah. are great, and not a lot of great ones, let's be honest, are those that have just gotten to a place where they're not thinking about critics, praise, su success, failure. They're, they're actually, you're, you're so free. You're just seeking to be a conduit of God. You're just open, and you're doing this because you cannot not do this. You know, like Rilke's, uh, you know, words to his poet, like, if you, if you can do something else, go do it. But I see art as I can't not do this. Right. Like, I, I write something because I have to, I just, I cannot not do it. it. It kind of, it gets in me to a place where I have to do this. It's so much work. And it's painful. And it's, it takes me down a road, which, you know, it's in my case, a couple of years of work. And so I don't, you know, I've been offered, hey, will you do right on this? And I'm like, no, I, I just, I don't, it doesn't, that's not the way it works for me. And I, I, I love the contemplative because it frees you from the illusions of idols around you and, and people uh, and what they think. And 
and ratings and because very often the most popular pieces of art are shallow right and because they're brilliant marketers or whatever and it's like i'm not i'm it's just not i'm not interested in that that to me it's not art i mean i that's not you don't in this podcast you, you know i think if you're listening to it i mean hopefully you're, you're trying to go a different route but you're trying to make a living too so you know, i don't make my primary living through writing it's been a supplement for me so it's a little different i and i i i can't speak to your situation how to get free from that because you're making a living from it i it's really difficult to, if you're making your full living from art that's a different challenge i mean maybe after a while if, if you've gotten to a place where you've got a platform where it's just happening naturally awesome but in the beginning you probably want to have a second income from somewhere <laughs> because uh, you want the freedom yeah. <laughs> to go down ra- roads i you know i my uh, when I first started, my first book publisher was dead against the title, and the th- and actually the way I was approaching it, and I basically said, I, if you don't want this, then you know it's called emotional health, healthy church, and uh, the, the word emotional health, they they said no one's going to buy this book, uh, especially you know Christians and especially men are not going to buy it, pastors aren't going to buy this book, and I just said, well, it just has to be that, and. They went back to me and said, well, we, we don't think anybody's going to buy it. And I said, well, I don't really care. I said, that, that's not the point. The point is, I believe this is from God and uh, it needs to be given. And so I, you know, we almost didn't do it. They almost didn't do it. And I was okay. I just was like, here it is. And they did it reluctantly. And they said, probably no one's going to buy this thing, but we'll do it because we think it's important. You're saying something. And it's interesting because it was 20 years later that uh, the vice president of HarperCollins said to me, who would have ever known that? You were you were twenty years ahead of the curve, and emotional health is all the buzz. And probably I think they said like like six of ten proposals they get to publish are around emotional health. Now you know it's like, and I said, yeah, it's funny how that is, yeah. isn't it? So they they you know publishers and uh, and um, folks who do the business side of, of art, uh, they're thinking always market. I mean, that's their jobs, right? And so, but you got to always, you're in the relationship with these folks, regardless of what kind of art you're in, and you've got to just kind of hold on to your integrity, uh, listen, because you can learn some things too, but you don't want to be obstinate. I was a bit obstinate because I really felt like, for me, it was almost like prophetic. It was like a prophecy. I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't change it. And then actually when it didn't sell the first six months, I was like, God, I was really confused. Like, why is this going so badly? And then it slowly began to spread. Uh, but it didn't do anything for six months. It was like, I mean, so like two months. I think it sold 200 copies. Wow. And uh, my friend who worked for Zonovan <laughs> at the time said, well, Pete, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have a platform. You're nobody from Queens. You're not in any big Christian network. You don't speak anywhere because no one knows who you are. So, yeah, it sold a few hundred copies and bookstores have sent it back. So, you know, it's over. And, uh, but, you know, good job. It was a really good book. And, uh, and I was, I was really like, sad i was confused but i said well god i know this was you and then it began to pick up speed you know it just been a slow word of mouth and it actually began to selling more and more copies every year and that's the way I, my, my career has gone it's not it's never been explosive it's always been slow spread by word of mouth and i i, I like that you know it's kind of like the long tail game As you know, one of the temptations artists are prone to wrestle with is comparison. And that's agitated by the social media and this persistent anxiety uh, to keep up. There's like a pressure 
uh, in our day to keep up with others. And, and sometimes it's a chronic feeling that we should be farther along in our work and career than we are. Uh, for a lot of artists, that sends us into a tailspin yep. of just not knowing our place. So how do we how do we overcome this temptation to compare? Yeah, I mean, so now we're talking into a, 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 this is why you need a deep spirituality, because we're, you're free. That's no small task to be free from external markers, right? Of how many followers so-and-so has, how many copies they've sold, or how many, how, you know, how many, how popular are they? And, and, uh, and there's always going to be people who are bigger and smarter and maybe look, you know, produce brilliant works. And, and this is why it's so important that you develop a, uh, a really deep relationship of what I call loving union with Jesus, uh, where you're actually, you know, get, how do you get free from that comparison? You know, you, you know, you can't will it. You can't say, I'm going to be free. You know, it doesn't work. Um, it requires a, a deep spirituality over a long period of time. So you, you know, from when I talk with folks in that spot, I'm all, I'm encouraging you to get in the long journey of developing a one, uh, a deep contemplative life. Okay. That's number one. But secondly, I'm also encouraging them to do their inner work of from their family of origin, what are the internal messages you've you, you've you've internalized from your family of origin in particular, which actually comes before the culture has greater influence and power in your am I a loser? Uh, you know, I'm no good. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to fail. I'm a failure. Uh, those scripts are often handed to us from uh, our our caregivers, our multi-generational stuff that happens to us, you know, abuse, all kinds of things that happen. And so part of, so, so that's why it's, it's about emotional health. You're, you're doing this journey of, and I'd invite you to do uh, check into doing a genogram of your family of origin. You've got to go down that journey of, because getting free requires one, a deep light walk with Jesus. That's the whole contemplative. You want to begin to move on that journey. But then secondly, um, doing the emotional work. It's not either or, it's really both. And uh, so as I did both, and I, I was just like everybody else, I was comparing myself and I'm a loser and all that. And But it wasn't like I, I those two things are what over time freed me. Now I get tempted, of course, but as you get older, it's really good because you realize the, the foolishness of it all. It's illusion of it all. It doesn't mean anything. Um, what means, what, what's important is you live the unique life God has given you to live and you do it his way in his time. Yeah. Um, and in his way. And so I, I, you know, for me, I don't write a lot of books. I write very few, but to me, they're going to be high quality and they're going to come from a place, uh, of my life. They're going to come out of a life lived, thoughtful, prayerful, reflective. Um, and it takes me years, uh, to produce a book. So publisher don't like it. You know, my, my agent doesn't like it. It goes, you know, I ask for things. It goes, you know, Pete, you don't really play the game real well because you don't produce a book a year or every two years like they want. You don't take the topics they give you. You, you do your own, you know. And uh, so they like me now over time, but not. I've been in this. I've been in this now for 21, 22 years, and I've been working with some of the same people within Harper Collins Christian Publishing, which is the largest Christian publisher in the world, for a very long time. 
so it's been a slow relationship builder where they actually trust me now, but they didn't for a long time. And I understand, why should they? Well, I didn't have a track record or anything. And I did say that more than once, just just relax and trust me that I, I you know, I, I think this will win the day. But you have to be patient and wait. But they're on yearly budgets. They've got their own pressures. They'll get fired if they don't produce some winners. So that you got you to respect the the burden they're under because they really are under a lot of pressure, folks in the business end of any art. Right. Uh, and they will be unemployed and out of business if they don't take care of that business end. So you've got to be op- you got to try to enter their world and appreciate their attentions while holding on to yourself. We call that differentiation. Um, and so I have to really wrestle and pray through. Uh, my relationships, even with the folks who are doing the business, and I, and I've had, you know, I remember one time I, I don't know, I was frustrated with something that the editor had done, or or something, and someone in the business end had done with uh, one of my books, and I called, and I was, I was really, I, I was, I was not kind, and I, I'd moved into entitlement. And I just, I just, my, and I had to call her back and apologize and ask forgiveness. It was really important. For me, she goes. I don't think I've ever had an author ask forgiveness before. <laughs> and, and, and when I actually, so I'm sorry, Luke, I'm one more little story here. I, um, you know, <laughs> when um, after I, I, mean, I wrote my first book, and then I it got quite popular. Then I had, then I had all these agents come. I didn't have an agent. All these agents were coming after me, and then all these publishers throwing book deals to me and coming to visit me and inviting me to their offices and all that. And offered me multi-book contracts and then I had its agent and I, and I said, and she, she had represented some, a friend had recommended her and she'd represented some, you know, a number of kind of well-known people in the Christian world. And she said to me, and I said to her, I was walking into this publisher's meeting and, and, uh, I was a really weird feeling. It was almost like a heady feeling like, Oh, all of a sudden I was, I was wanted kind of like uncle Sam wants you like somebody wanted me. <laughs> and uh, I said, to her, I said, what's the greatest temptation that you've experienced? And she'd been in the business like 30, 40 years. I said that you've seen with authors that you would say, like, be really careful. And she said, without blinking on eyes, she goes entitlement, entitlement. Yeah. They feel like, you know, everybody owes them because you're a quota success or you help them make money. So you walk in with an entitled, uh, entitlement, entitled attitude. Uh, versus grateful and thankful for anyone who's partnering with you. That advice has stayed with me all these years, and I consider it one of the most valuable pieces of advice I've ever I received around the artwork. So I'm very careful to be super thankful in almost every media I go into with the people I work with and in, in publishing, and thanking them for their time and being willing to do anything. They don't have to do anything. The fact that I even have a partnership. Uh, is such a gift. Anyone willing to help me is such a gift. Anybody I talk to, even a friend, is they give me some input on this is a gift. So I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm pretty careful to say, you know, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you've not received? And that this is all a gift. And I thank God that whoever created the, the companies that get the word out of a book, even Amazon, you know, people crit- criticize Amazon all they want, but you know what? They've given a gift for me as an author. I know that. And so I can be thankful for the gift of Amazon, although, of course, they've got their flaws as a company. But um, it's so many pieces that enable it to art to happen. We live in a country here in the United States, or you live, maybe you live in Canada. You are very fortunate if you're living in the western part of the world and you have the ability to produce a piece of art and it can get out there. I mean, lots of places in the world, it's hard to get it out there. And you were born in a place with such a gift where there's these resources to help you and serve you and 
because you know we produce art for the most part to 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 give it away to the world so we want to give it away to the world and um you know so i would uh, entitlement hold on to that word that that's valuable so p uh final question here the artist's life that can be typified by extreme highs and extreme lows and and so when we're inspired we're on top of the world yeah and then and then when we feel no creative unction uh and our lives are dominated by the mundane it's it's very common to fall into despair mm-hmm. and uh what habits or practices would you recommend for artists to cultivate uh depth and emotional health well said well said because it is true there are depths <laughs> of dryness and there are heights and uh, so yes, I y- you want to develop some practices that will ground you, regardless of the up and down feelings that are just they come with the work. So things like Sabbath is a, is a is a core. We have a little ebook uh, at emotionallyhealthy.org/sabbath. I'd encourage you to pick it up; it's free, and just discover the d- Sabbath delight. It's called. And uh, what does that look like? How do I create a, a twenty-four hour period every week where I actually have a Sabbath to the Lord our God? where I'm practicing delight apart from my work. Very, very important. So uh, I would download that ebook again, at emotionallyhealthy.org slash Sabbath. Great, great place to, to start. Um, there's also an assessment uh, that I'd encourage you to take. Uh, and it helps, it's a 15 minutes kind of sense, where am I emotionally? Am I an emotional infant, child, adolescent, or adult? Tens of thousands of people have taken it. It's been kind of, it's been well tested around the world, but it's kind of a really good introductory assessment. Where am I in my emotional maturity? And it might, I hope, help you break down, oh, I've got some real gaps here. And uh, and then it'll kind of lead you into hopefully some steps you can use to, uh, to address it. Uh, but you want to get a handle on your, you want to slow down your, your life, which that's where Sabbath is, is to me always the best place to start. And then you want to begin to at least dabble a bit in your emotional interior world. And I would start with the assessment at emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. It's free and uh, do it thoughtfully. Uh, even though it only takes 15 minutes and really look at the results and, and ask God, how are you coming to me through this? What are you trying to say to me through this? What's your invitation through this? Because we're always listening. What's God's invitation to me through what's happening? And so if you're listening to this podcast, there's an invitation in, in this podcast somewhere for you. And you want to be responsive to those seeds so they don't get lost for what God has for you and your future. Well, thank you, Pete, for this time. Brilliant, uh, brilliant thoughts and insights. I think we're all going to be able to uh, apply, reflect on um, any other final thoughts or comments you would offer to this community god bless your community i think it's fantastic that you're going for it and um really i i i applaud you i i bless you i i i pray that you can get centered enough so that true art will flow through you uh and that's no small task just getting yourself into a place where the clutter is removed is three-fourths of the work and it's your it's your inner life to be in a place where you're free out of which then you're able to hear god listen to god and be a, a vessel through whom god is 
you know, our cre- God's a creator. I mean, his very nature is a creator. So when we create, we're, we're just, we're imaging him in such a brilliant way. And, uh, we're blessed of course, in the process, uh, along with other people. So I bless you on that journey. It's a slow journey, uh, no question about it, but it's one that I wouldn't change for anything in the world. And I consider myself so privileged to be engaged in art in the way that I am. And I hope you will come to the same conclusion as you move through your decades as well. So thank you, Luke. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Makers and Mystics and leave a kind review on iTunes. If you'd like to go deeper into these conversations on art and faith, please consider joining our online creative collective at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art.